Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Starfleet Boy, and today we're going to discuss the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation episode where no one has gone before. This will be, as usual, a casual and informal discussion. And uh, today we have the return of the Doctor. He comes back with us. Doctor? Yes, hello. And you're broadcasting from where? I am broadcasting from the Serendipity Saloon in the Milky Way Malt Shop. Very nice, very nice. Uh, good to good to have you back on the program. And uh, also, uh, we have we're patching into Terak Nor right now, and uh, we have Goldu Scott on as well. Goldu Scott here, live from Terak Nor. Good to see you all. Well, you guys, uh, did you guys upgrade something over there? You sound a lot better. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we got our uh, our comm systems upgraded, and uh, we also um, increased our, our subspace communications bandwidth, oh. uh, so that should help as well. You you look very clear. I can see I can see you really well. You look very clear and very handsome as well too. Sorry, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, anyways, of course, I'm broadcasting from Starfleet headquarters. My cozy little. Uh, apartment here in uh, what's in my loft at Starfleet headquarters. Uh, so today's episode we're going to talk about uh, is where no one has gone before. And uh, before I get into that, I think that's an important distinction. I don't know if we spoke about this before, but um, the previous introduction to Star Trek uh, until the Next Generation came on was Space: The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise on its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And that was the case all the way up until Star Trek The Next Generation, where they changed two things. They said, instead of on its five-year mission, they said on its continuing voyage to explore strange new worlds, new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And I thought that was such an important... Um, change because it was a lot more inclusive, not just, you know, man in the sense of humanity, but but people of all different kinds of, you know, species and, and so on. So that's kind of cool. And this also mirrors uh, the title of a original series episode called Where No Man Has Gone Before, where something extraordinary happens. So we could already expect that something extraordinary might happen in this episode. It's uh, it's also based on a, a novel. I don't know if you knew this. No. A novel, uh, The Wounded Sky, which is uh, right now I completely forgot who the author is. Oh well, she's one of the uh, people credited with writing the story. She her credits are in the in the episode. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> the original novel was uh, it was an uh, it was for the original series. And she set out to write, in her own words, the best Star Trek novel ever written. And uh, it's the same premise. It's, uh, it's there, um, but instead of the traveler, the uh, the person who uh, who takes them into this other dimension where you know thought and all uh, is affecting reality. It's a uh, it's a spider-like alien engineer. Interesting. And, uh, it's it's one of those early '80s Star Trek novels uh, where the imagination is really unbound. Uh, they they kind of settle into more, you know, 
TV series like stories, but those early Star Trek novels were really out there. And uh, the Wounded Sky is really it's if you like the episode, it's it's worth reading that one. That's awesome. And the the writer that you mentioned, uh, who wrote the the original book and then adapted it for the screenplay, was Diane Duane. Right, that's her. Yes. I love this uh, this collaborative thing going on here. Everyone has a little bit of information. That's pretty awesome. Well, yeah, so uh, Starfleet, I was just going to mention, uh, you know, what got me excited about this episode was I had I had forgotten which one this was. And you mentioned beforehand, before I watched it, that this was the, the Traveler episode. So I got very excited for uh, a big, uh, monumentous Wesley episode. And as it turns out, Wesley doesn't really have that much to do, even though it is an important episode for him. He's not really a central character. He just feels like he's kind of there. He's he. They're setting Wesley up in this episode for something uh, really big, um, and they really kind of kind of uh, kind of solidify the the idea that he is, uh, you know, an extraordinary intel extraordinarily intelligent uh, person that may have some kind of uh, larger destiny um, ahead of him. Uh, we'll get into that, but. Um, let me give a real quick little um, synopsis, sort of. So, as as uh, the doctor already uh, kind of stated, uh, it does parallel the plot of the novel. What happens is, um, uh, you know, the episode starts out pretty routine. Uh, the Enterprise is rendezvousing with a ship where uh, they're about to receive um, an expert, a warp engines expert named Kaczynski. Um, and uh, who's doing that? <laughs> Shut off that damn noise! Uh, I think it might be me, and I'm I'm gonna try to figure this out here. <laughs> I, if, all right. Um, Am I still on the call? <laughs> uh, so, anyways, the uh, Kaczynski comes aboard with an assistant who's kind of an enigmatic uh, figure. They don't they don't really uh, even name him. He just kind of says, "This is my assistant," and he's an interesting looking uh, alien. They did a great job at. Um, at, uh, at the makeup design, I thought, for, for this character. So Riker has his qualms about it, and he's kind of like, you know, the en the Enterprise engines are brand new. Why do we need them to be calibrated? And, uh, you know, I think it's funny how Riker seems to be the voice of reason. <laughs> well, it was a weird... It reminded me of, reminded me of uh, in the old show, when they were going to hook up the that computer that was going to take over the Enterprise... And Kirk, why do we need that? You know, Riker is pulling a Kirk there. I thought that was funny. That was cool. That's true. And it's also weird that they're having that conversation right there. Like, you would have thought they would have talked about this earlier. Like, it seems to be a surprise to Picard that the data is all gibberish and they're all matter-of-fact about it. Like, uh, yeah, Captain, none of it made any sense. And he doesn't seem to care. He's just like, ah, whatever, you guys. I, I trust well, even, Starfleet. Even I, well, I think he asks, "Is there any harm in in Kaczynski's uh, equations?" And Jordy or someone responds, "No, actually, it won't, you know, they kind of they're kind of like that guy's just going to be like nothing's really going to happen." You know, they're like, "Well, this is kind of a formality of some kind. Maybe Kaczynski's sleeping with uh, an admiral or something." And uh, you know, oh, scandal. <laughs> A little bit of Starfleet politics here, so Picard might be privy to that, and um, and he's taking the more, uh, you know, the kind of the, he's like, I know you guys don't understand this, but sometimes we have to do these stupid uh, 
these stupid like posturing type you know things and and let these experts on board and so on and so forth and I can imagine because Kaczynski's uh, kind of a charlatan although he seems to believe that um, what he's doing is correct um, and he does <laughs> and apparently there is some success that's been occurring because the uh, previous ship the the warp engine efficiency was increased by a certain percentage so you know there is something to his uh, his uh, madness uh, if you will but. Yeah, they say it's worked twice before, right? On two other ships. Yeah, he's already helped out uh, with the propulsion calibration. So, um, so anyways, uh, but you're absolutely right. It's kind of like matter of fact, and you know, no one's. Riker seems the most concerned. <laughs> you you just thought there would have been a meeting or some sort of briefing about this earlier, <laughs> where you know data would have brought up his analysis of it beforehand. That's all I'm saying. Just a little bit of lazy writing. They're like, we have to fit these kind of two conversations into this one opening scene, and let's just see how much uh, shit we can get out of the way as fast as possible. (laughs) The Enterprise uh, bridge has always kind of been uh, a casual sort of place where they do talk about things like pretty, like, you know, that you would think that they would need a briefing for. But I think you're right. This one probably did. It's a concern. It probably did deserve a... A briefing of some kind, <laughs> maybe in maybe in the captain's ready room, not maybe not in the conference room, but maybe in the captain's ready room or something like that. Yeah, that was definitely a ready room conversation. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. So uh, Kaczynski comes aboard, and now we meet. Um, we we go down to engineering, which is going to play a big part in um, in this episode. And uh, strangely enough, now we have a new uh, the engineer of the week. <laughs> <laughs> They were kind of rotating at that, at that point, weren't they? Does this engineer even have a name? I forget. I'm, you know, I'm trying to look here through my notes. I didn't catch a name, and I watched it twice. Uh, oh. But I, I was more just wondering why we weren't getting an explanation for what happened to McDougal. Oh, yeah. Well, McDougal obviously got fired because she let um, she let what happened before. I, I think Captain Picard's a pretty ruthless captain. Um, she's probably been reassigned. <laughs> we don't see it on screen, but he's probably like, McDougal, I'm sorry, but you do, you are not going to work out. <laughs> but I feel like they could have worked it into this story, you know? Like, this guy was nervous, maybe, about what happened to McDougal, and so he's trying that much harder not to screw up. But, of course, he does, and so he's on yeah. the top block as well. Um, anyways, uh, Kaczynski and the Traveler, um, they they begin their experiment, and for some reason, Wesley is... is uh, I, I may have missed... Why is Wesley in engineering? Does anyone remember? He's just hanging out, right? He is just hanging out. It's kind of a strange... Uh, well, we've already established the Enterprise is kind of... The, the Enterprise D, at least, is very casual... There's a lot of civilians just running around in high-security areas. (laughs) So So Wesley doesn't go to school or anything? I mean, have we established that there's a school on the Enterprise at this point? There is is a school on the Enterprise, and we do see it later, um, but I think most of the uh, students do self-study. I think in the future, uh, people are way more disciplined about learning, and um, it's not quite as... uh, It's not quite quite as formal... Um, you know, you, basically, it's probably like reads a bunch of stuff, uh, does a couple of tests, and then the computer passes him. The computer is like, 
his teacher, and he can watch any lecture that's in the data bank. He can watch lectures about, you know, warp propulsion. He can uh, he can uh, go to. I bet every famous professor has been recorded um, somehow and is in the ship's computer bank. So, I think education's a, a lot different. It's probably more like what some people envision with like um, where the internet is going in terms of uh, education. So, but but they do have teachers though on the Enterprise. This isn't um. Chief O'Brien's wife. Keiko is a... Keiko's a teacher, but I think that at his level, I think Wesley has already passed, like, formal school. He's now on, on like, he's now kind of just, like, you know, eventually he'll go to the academy, which is another formal schooling. Um, but right now he's on self-study, is my impression. Okay. Because on DS9, uh, Cisco's kid, Jake, looks more or less like that that age. And he was going to school, so on on DS Nine. I don't know how I don't know how old Jake was. We'll have to look at that. Well, but they they have a an episode where they specifically establish the need for a school and talk about how it's set up, and so there was like a whole uh, story behind that on the Enterprise. I guess it's just assumed that there is a school out there, along with uh, uh, you know the barber shop that you mentioned <laughs> right. uh, in an earlier episode, and then all those other things. They're there, I promise you. <laughs> um, so, anyways, the Wesley's there, and by the way, I think this is his most epic sweater. What do you What do you think, Goldie Scott? I have to totally agree with you. It is. I was going to bring that up at some point, of course. <laughs> Feel free to talk about it now or later. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I guess it's Sam. I mean, the color. Would you call it salmon? <laughs> is that the color you would use? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I think that is a salmon sweater, actually. Yes. And it's got, like, it's... I don't even know how to explain it. It's got just so much cool cool shit going on. <laughs> I mean, I, just Google. You know, people just need to watch it for themselves. Words can't, <laughs> can't do it justice. Yeah, the, the sweater was quite epic, I thought. It was, like, probably his best sweater yet. Um <laughs> It, I did discover an entire website uh, dedicated no. to Wesley's sweater sweaters, oh my God. Uh, and it lists them, you know, episode by episode. And I, I will, I apologize. I should have written it down and and given them a shout out here. I will do that for our next show. Uh, try and find this thing again. I have um, to, see that. I have to see that website. That's I think it. his sweater days are coming to an end, though, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, well, we'll talk more about that. But soon he'll don the. Uh, the rainbow, <laughs> the rainbow colored uh, ensign outfit. The rainbow collar. Yeah. Well, the rain. There's the rainbow sweater, and then after that, he's in the gray Starfleet uniform right. for a while. Right. It's true. Right. So yeah, sweater sweater season is really just season one. Yeah, it's true. Um. So Kaczynski uh, starts his warp experiments, and uh, there's a really touching scene between Wesley and the Traveler where uh, Wesley's kind of looking at Kaczynski's equations uh, with some uh, amount of, um, you know, consternation, and the Traveler says, well, do you think this will work? And Wesley's like, no, I don't think so. And he's like, well, what would you do? And Wesley starts punching in a bunch of equations, and all of a sudden the... Uh, the uh, the warp field kind of changes, and the traveler looks really impressed. He's like, "Whoa, this kid knows what he's doing," and he's like, uh, "You know, now it might have a chance of working." The, the traveler is kind of impressed with Wesley and takes note of him, 
they begin the warp experiment, and at first everything seems fine, pretty routine, nothing's happening, uh, and then all of a sudden the traveler uh, starts to do something interesting where he seems to merge with the computer and <laughs> phase in and out of existence uh, in, an, in an interesting-looking uh, wave, wavy special effect. And then the Enterprise engines, which I love uh, when they go into full gear, that, like, pulsing, you know, you know, whatever noise it makes. And you so the, the power thing? The power the, thing? The, the power of the Enterprise. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, all of a sudden it catapults the Enterprise into an insane velocity, and they end up, uh, the, the first time I think they end up uh, three galaxies away in, in uh, I think it's uh, M33 or something like that. Um, uh, and... Uh, don't they say two million light years or something? Yeah, I don't remember the. It's something like two million light years, but it's uh, but it's three galaxies away from our galaxy. Pretty cool. The galaxy, the spot they land in, in this galaxy looks pretty outrageous. It's like, like the birth of a star or some kind of nebula or something like that. Um, and as cool as it is, uh, the the crew's um, the crew's immediately. Alarmed, of course, because uh, I think uh, Jordy calculates that it would take 300 years at warp nine to get back to uh, to uh, to our galaxy. So, you know, that it's would be basically the premise of Voyager. This episode, <laughs> yeah, sort of. How many? Well, they're only like what? I no. looked it up. There, they were only 75 years away from home, so they were st- still in our galaxy, right? They were yeah. in the Delta quadrant. I know, Doctor, you're a big fan of Voyager, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Poor Voyager. When we get to that, it'll be interesting. Poor us. I'll probably be the only one uh, doing the commentary. <laughs> I won't be joining you on those commentaries. So. <laughs> I'll join you for the, the Andy Dick episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot that Andy Dick oh. was... Is that me? <laughs> That's you. I, I think I'm you're sorry. the you're the uh, the binging also. You're the culprit. That was me. Those Stop TARDIS controls are hard to figure out. Noise. <laughs> so, do do either of you guys understand any of the sciency shit they're talking about here with the 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 warp stuff and the whatever they say they're doing? So I I happen to have a kind of understanding. <laughs> you have a degree in warp technology. So 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 what? Basically, today the fastest we can go is um, you know somewhere like I think Mach ten maybe I'm not even sure. Uh, it's been a while since I've I've looked into it. But as far as in Star Trek, as far as Star Trek's concerned, um, the Enterprise travels at Warp warp one is like a little is like one factor faster than light speed, and um, and warp nine is nine factors faster than light speed. So when you're traveling at light speed, you're traveling pretty fast. But even still, what happens is uh, if anyone saw the movie Interstellar, uh, what happens when you're traveling at light speed is the time slows down for you, but it it goes on at the correct pace for everyone else, right? 
Um, and so uh, theoretical physicists have figured out that the only way to... So in other words, if you were traveling at light speed and you went to Alpha Centauri, which is, I think, 60 light years away, right? When you came back, it would be... It would take you 60... Like, it would take you not that long to get there at light speed. It would take you the time that it takes, I think, uh, light to travel that far, which is maybe a few hours or days or something like that, you know? It's probably a few hours. It's probably even less than that. But, uh, but when you came back to Earth, 60 years will have passed on Earth. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, but I'm just confused because I thought that what happened in Interstellar was he became a ghost in a bookcase. <laughs> so, okay, let's leave Interstellar out of it, but you get the point is that, like, if you travel 60 light years at light speed and you come back, 60 years will have passed on Earth, but very little time will have passed for you, right? Yes, that, is that the theory of relativity? Is that, yeah, uh, it has Einstein to be with the theory of relativity. I, again, I only have a peripheral, like, I've only got a casual knowledge of stuff. We should have maybe Jeff Lieberman or some expert on a future episode to talk more about these things. But um, Good idea. but anyways, uh, Jeff Lieberman's someone we know, but it could be it could be anyone. Uh, <laughs> He's a science officer on the Farragut. He is a science officer. It's true. <laughs> he could be our science officer. Very cool. Um, anyways, so warp one would lessen that experience. So now you're closing that gap, and so that's why in Star Trek, when we're traveling to faraway places, we travel at these warp velocities, because what's actually happening is you're folding or warping space. So now, instead of traveling at the speed of light, you're, you're traveling at a speed that's beyond the speed of light, because you're, you're bringing space, two points in space, closer together. So now it only takes the Enterprise maybe an hour to go here and an hour to come back, and only an hour will have passed for everyone in in because in time and space, because you're actually warping space rather than traveling through it. Does that make sense? A little yeah. bit. Okay, so tra the traveler, he bonds with the computer, and then something happens, and they go into these crazy velocities. So now they're 300 years at warp 9, which means that's an insane amount of space, because even at light... In light years, that's probably, like, way bigger distance. Like, if you were only traveling at, at light speed it would probably take you maybe 800 years or 900 years to get back home. So you can imagine the, uh, the distances they've traveled. And um, Captain Picard, you know, goes down to investigate what's going on. And so then, um, oh, by the way, while this experiment's going on, Wesley does try to warn uh, um, Commander Riker a couple of times as to what as usual, Riker's a dick. Yeah, right. Riker completely ignores Wesley. Awesome and, uh, way. He's like, hey, get away. Later, later, Wesley. Later. So yeah. Kaczynski, uh, you know, comes up to the bridge to try to explain what's happened, and this is really funny because he's actually babbling incoherently. Like <laughs> he is. He is. It's absolute bullshit. It's, just... it's all absolute bullshit. Right. Most times when they're when they have what's called techno babble on Star Trek, I have an understanding. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, I'm technical enough that I I know what's going on." But this time Kaczynski's talking and it's it's pretty laughable. He's like, "The boson neutrality of the blah blah blah." And Picard even says, "What is he saying?" <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, Kaczynski kind of babbles about nonsense, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, 
you know, he basically says, well, can you, can you get us back? And Kaczynski says yes. So they try the experiment. Um, they try again, and this time the traveler, you know, uh, starts phasing again. But this time, the velocity is off the charts. It's ludicrous speed. What's that? Ludicrous it's, speed it's, from space yeah. <laughs> They just went warp 5,000. Right. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. The computer never re registers past warp 1.1, which is interesting, but, like, the ship gets hurtled through, uh, through the universe to what might be the edge of the universe, the point where the universe is expanding still. Um... Or well, whatever what that was. Where they have bubbles. Is expanding into. Where they still have, where they have giant bubbles. Well, I yeah, like you have these like. It, oh, there goes my ship's computer. You have these like very strange. Um, it's a very strange environment. Uh, it's very like. Ve this is very hard science fiction uh, here. I would say. What What do you think? You know, actually, I would I would argue when I re, when I rewatched it, and this is actually one of my favorite episodes of the first season. I've always loved this episode because I love that part of the universe where they land, where there's bubbles and things don't look like it's real and all that stuff. And I always, you know, being a Doctor Who fan, I kind of interpreted it as it not even like they actually didn't travel in terms of space. But they they actually broke into another dimension of the same space they were in, which is why the ship uh, didn't register them really, because uh, you said they, they didn't they didn't travel warp, they, they didn't exceed warp whatever right? They one point one or the ship didn't register one point more than one point one. But who knows what the hell happened? They actually do know where they are in terms of distance. They don't know where they are in terms of... Do they know where they are in terms of distance? Oh, I didn't realize that. They, okay. they say in the episode that they are now a billion light years okay. from our galaxy, from home. Well, I still think that they're, they're far away, but they're also in another sort of dimension. Yeah, it's suggested that is suggested in the episode um, later when we talk to the traveler, but um, but it's definitely a place that's far out. No, uh, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no one has gone there before. No one has gone there before, and Data does say uh, when when um, when Picard asks where he is, he's like, "Where none have gone before, Captain." You know, it's like. Totally true. Where none have gone before is what it seems like. Um, and so while the Enterprise is sitting here and they're trying to figure out how to get back, a couple things have happened. One, um, uh, the Traveler's exhausted. You know, he's he's in this kind of, like, state of exhaustion, and Dr. Crusher's trying to, you know, treat him, but she doesn't really understand his physio physiology um, West... Are we just gonna like ignore the fact that nobody saw him phasing in and out? Like they they were all right there in the same room, and this has happened now on two other ships, and nobody saw him doing that there either. Yeah, apparently, it, it suggested that um, he can somehow influence others, but Wesley might be immune to this influence. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, I thought this was just going on and that 
I didn't know Wesley was somehow seeing things that other people couldn't see. Maybe not that they couldn't see, but it's kind of... I, I, I liken it to the perception filter in Doctor Who. You have to really, like, look for it to, to see what's happening. You know what I mean? Like, so... Wesley, so there's an interesting bond that occurs very quickly between Wesley and the Traveler. Um, yeah, Wesley, then you know because of the love theme that begins playing every time they're together. <laughs> there are some, there are some strange suggestions in this episode that, uh, that, that uh, you know, somewhat of a. I think that the uh, what comes to mind is that organization Nambla. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, this no. is going to be a long Nambla talk, isn't it? No, no, I'm just kidding. Let's not go there. But anyways, it is a little strange, the uh, relationship. It's just weird. I was just saying weird music. I You took it <laughs> you way, said, way farther than I, I, I was going. Was gone before. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying it's a weird musical choice. That's all. <laughs> you said romantic music. <laughs> it is. It was very romantic. Awesome. Yes. Get... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the doctor agrees with me. The doctor knows a good love theme when he hears one. Right. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Uh, so, so Wesley, you know, kind of explains what he witnessed, and um, but but there's also some interesting things that have been happening on the Enterprise. For example, on the way to engineering, uh, Picard, uh, you know, is is on the turbo lift, and when the doors open, all of a sudden he's in. He's about to step out into space. Uh, he's, you know, very strange experience. Uh, Worf sees... That's a famous shot, by the way. I, I remember seeing that in the, like, the commercials for this episode or the, you yeah. know, the next time on preview. You're right. That was used on the commercials announcing the series. Yes. That was, that, that, that's song. a money shot, that one. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's one of the, Yeah, you're right. I remember it's a great special effect. I mean, you have this door opening into space, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> and you have Worf uh, suddenly sees his uh, Klingon Targ pet from his childhood. <laughs> now, this is the most character development we've gotten on Worf so far, right? Yeah, he actually is smiling. Like, he's beaming. he's beaming. His smile is really huge in this uh, part. And then Tasha goes into this pretty dark hallucination, if you will, um, where she's back in the colony that um, that she grew up on, being chased by a rape gang, which had been mentioned, uh, mentioned every episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tasha, Tasha wants to remind us of the rape gangs every chance she gets. Oh, it's pretty traumatic. Though. I have a question. Yeah. Now, Worf has the vision of the Targ, and then later, actually, before she goes to the rape gang planet, uh, she has the cat vision. Remember the Targ? Right. right there's a cat. Right. Okay. Now, the people in the background, the other people on the bridge, seem to be completely oblivious to the Targ. It's only Tasha who notices it. Now, is this just bad directing, or, or are they implying that, the vision, that these visions only are seen by certain people? At a, at, at a given time. There, there is another precedent later in the episode for that. Um, so Tasha and Worf see the Targ, um, and no one else seems to see it. And later on, there's uh, two crewmen who are running past Captain Picard, and they're like, Captain, you have to help us. And he's like, why? And he's like, don't you see what's chasing us? And he doesn't see it. 
Right, he doesn't see it at all. He doesn't see it. So there is some kind of, like, random... And then later Picard sees his mother, but Riker doesn't see uh, her. Grandma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Grandmother, yeah. Oh, grandmother? I thought that was his mother. That was his grandmother? I, I think Mamon is grandma. In yes, it's grandma. So, so then these... Mamea is, I think, mother. I thought it was interesting that it's sort of random. Like, some people see it. You know, it's it, it's the... the it is random. For example, by some people, but yeah, not by people, others. Yeah. You oh, know, it's because random. the fire at one point that guy sees later on. But, you know, so it's sort of give and take. It's like sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. And not only that, sometimes it's immersive and sometimes it's not. For example, the... The uh, rape. Tasha goes back to the colony that she was living on as as, as when she was younger. Um, the man who's eating his dinner alone, which is kind of sad. Uh, he's playing in a quartet. Right. Know? And uh, and then we have the ballerina girl. So there's all these like crazy things going on. Then of course we have this really touching scene where you see a moment of tenderness. You had alluded to it just a second ago, where Picard sees his grandmother. Um, and she's sitting there, and she's, you know, she says, "I made your tea very strong, just the way you like it." And she starts explaining where they are a little bit. Um, so she suggests, you know, Picard's a little baffled because he says, "Well, you know, I've always felt that you're near me, but I did, I never realized you were." And she's able to speak to Picard in a way that only he would understand, and she seems very real. And she starts to explain to him that. Um, She's neither alive nor dead, and he asks her if she understands the mechanics of where they are, and just before she can explain, Riker interrupts, and then the vision of her is gone. But we do get the impression now. We start to understand that where we are is a place where thought and reality are interchange. Thought, thought becomes reality literally, like instantaneously, whereas you know that doesn't happen to us here, you know, I, I don't just think about an orange juice and it appears in my hand, right? That would be awesome. That would be a great special effect. <laughs> I, I want to say Patrick Stewart in that scene with his with the the grandmother character is is excellent in that scene. I've always thought that the way he shifts from that cold Picard, like I'm the captain, and then when, the moment he sees her, it's like the humanity just he just pours out of it. It's like suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, look at Picard. He's actually uh, Tender, like yeah. right, yes. And then when when he snaps at Riker, I love that. <laughs> yeah, he snaps right back to Captain. Just a minute, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that scene. It's very true. It's a very nice moment. Uh, it's a very nice. That's his best scene in the series so far. Would you agree? I would agree, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. It, right. um, you know, to use a current um, current phrasing, it definitely was, uh, there, were, there were a lot of feels. <laughs> what does feels mean? I don't know. I'm not up with the, the current. I'm, I'm not a fan of these Tumblr uh, terminologies that you're using. I don't even know what Tumblr is. So the kids today are using this expression whenever they f they see something that evokes some kind of an emotional response. They they call it the feels. Okay, the why? What's like? I don't get it. 
Because you're... they lack vocabulary. That's why. <laughs> no. What did we 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 had it? We called it emo. Oh my gosh, I feel so emo right now. Don't you remember that? Maybe emo. You, maybe you did, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I feel like emo. Even emo was after my time. That's how old okay. I am. I guess I'm a uh, man of many generations. I don't know. <laughs> but um, Picard makes his way to uh, to engineering and and just blatantly interrupts many people's fantasies. <laughs> that sounds wrong. Can bro. we can we talk about the fire guy? The the guy who's that behind the fire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about him. He, it's that comes a little later, but yeah, go on. I mean, he only has, he says two words, but, in, you know, he, he walks by the captain and just says, yes, sir, or something. He, but in the way he says those two words, he might be the worst actor I've ever seen. <laughs> and I, I tried to find some information on this guy. It actually took a lot of research because it turns out he was uncredited, which oh, makes wow. sense because he certainly did not deserve credit for that. Um, his name... His name was uh, or is Dennis Dennis Madalone. He it turns out he's primarily a stunt man, and he was a stunt coordinator on a lot of the later Star Trek shows as well. But he is most famous for uh, doing a patriotic music and music video uh, called "America We Stand as One," which was inspired by 9/11. Um, and I guess he became some sort of uh, patriotic music star. Wow! Wow! I, you know, he's a terrible actor. He should stick with that instead. I am sure. I'm sure he. I'm sure he knows that his performance wasn't, uh, you know, Oscar winning. But I think it makes sense that they did that because it's kind of a dangerous scene. I mean, there's a real live fire happening, so you you would need your top stunt person to be in that scene. (laughs) You think that was a live fire and not a uh, effect? Because it didn't look that real to me. It, oh wow! I have to watch it again because it looked pretty real to me. Yeah, I think it was CG. Was no, it couldn't have been at the time. Not CG, but optical. Oh, it could have been an optical. Yeah, an optical fan. I don't know. It looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. It looked like he was actually uh, fending off these flames. With he, you know, he he looked like he was feeling the flames. It it, it didn't. The flames were more convincing than the acting. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So we have, um, anyways, we get to, you know, he's interrupting all these fantasies, and we get to uh, to uh, speaking with, um, um, oh, Picard, Picard uh, conjectures that they're at the outer rim, as I said earlier, the outer rim of our universe. So it's like this, uh, this theoretical point where the, if the universe is expanding, what is it expanding to, right? It's expanding into possibly this place, wherever this is. Well, I think that explains the bubbles, Doctor, uh, that you brought up. Um, You know, if you think of the universe as an ocean, then they're in the part that is like the the foam, you know, where the waves are crashing. Oh, very nice. Uh, Very poetic, right? That's very poetic. Well, Cardassians are known for their love of poetry. They are. are. Yes. Yes. As well (laughs) as our, our love of Bajoran servants. (laughs) <laughs> but don't, don't tell my wife. No comments. No comments. Wow. <laughs> Spoilers for Deep Space Nine Season 6. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so finally, uh, so uh, 
Picard's solution, by the way, when he realizes that all these people are immersing in fantasies is to put the ship into red alert, um, uh, general red alert, and he goes into engineering, gets briefed on what's going on, and everything kind of ex is explained to him, and Dr. Crusher says that the traveler's too tired, he's exhausted, I don't know if I can revive him. Wesley kind of explains what's been going on. So we move to... Uh, to uh, sick bay where Picard makes the decision to revive the traveler and wake him up even though he's uh, beyond exhausted apparently um, and this is when we find out where we actually are the properties of where we actually are the traveler explains that he's a traveler and uh, he doesn't have any specific destination that he goes to he just kind of whatever whatever the traveler is and wherever he's from uh, they've evolved to a point where they can um, seamlessly travel to any point, it seems, in time and space, and they can occupy um, uh, corporeal um, existence or non-corporeal existence. And he explains to Picard that where they are... Um, well, he explains to Picard that the nature of the universe is that thought is, in fact, real. Like, thought is a physical thing that can... You know, they can actually... And here it's just enhanced to this point where whatever you think happens, and he describes... Well, well I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but but Wesley actually says that earlier in the episode when he's... Um, him and the Traveler are first working together, and he figures out how to make the lines on the screen go the right way or whatever he does there. Uh, but he... Wesley, I think, makes the statement that he always thought that space, time, and thought were all interconnected. And right. the traveler sort of is like, whoa, whoa, stop! Those are those thoughts are you know you're too young to be having those thoughts, like you know, That's like he was thinking about porn or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important scene. I I'm glad you 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 talked about that because yeah, he's he's at once excited and then he also at the same time cautions Wesley to uh, to slow slow his roll so to speak and and you know not not worry about such things. He's like. So he suggests that that's like a little, a little too, you know, it's a little premature to be thinking about those things. You're right. Um, anyway, so that's where they are. They're in this pl strange place. It's neither real nor unreal. It's neither space nor time. It's neither, you know, it's 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 somewhere else. Um, and these are its properties. Um, and so. He gives them a solution. He describes himself as a lens, and he says that like thought kind of he can kind of process thought like a like a lens, and then um, maybe he has a chance of getting us back if everyone kind of can focus on on getting back home. And then he asks to speak to Captain Picard alone, and this is kind of like the scene where now um, they talk a little bit about Wesley, and um, the traveler suggests that Wesley is the Mozart of physics. You know, and and um, and and ship propulsion, and you know all these kinds of things. And sweaters. And sweaters. Yeah. And um, and he recommends to the captain that Wesley not be told about his extraordinary um, gifts or abilities, but that he be encouraged um, to explore them or take them where he will. And so this kind of establishes uh, earlier, Goldie Scott. You know, you were wondering. Is Wesley in fact the boy genius, or is he just, you know, or what, you know, what's going on? And this episode kind of establishes him as like a boy genius of such caliber that it's like he's kind of an evolved human. And the traveler also suggests that um, 
that humans were not interesting to his race until now, and Wesley and a few others like him in the, you know, few other beings like him are what keeps him traveling. That's the destination that he's trying to go to, is to, like, maybe see these these uh, extraordinary people in their infancy of thought or of uh, achievement, so to speak. Yeah, he specifically says, I, my, you know, I'm seeking out people like him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Now, does the, the Traveler doesn't die at the end of the set, right? I mean, when he... No. He phases out at the end. He's just going home. Well, you know, one can only wonder. But anyways, so the tra- yeah. So after this, the traveler tries once again, and there's a really touching, another touching scene where Picard goes on to the um, shipwide communications, and he says, "Okay, we're going to try to get home. I need everyone to fully concentrate on your work, and also to send good energy or good thoughts to the traveler who's trying to get us home." Which and makes Troy feel very, very happy. <laughs> that well acted, well acted too. She did show delight in her face. Yeah. I thought it was very genuine. You know, you think she was eating chocolate at the moment. But, uh... <laughs> this is a PG thirteen show, right? Not rated R. I shouldn't. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> That's okay. It's PG thirteen. You're absolutely. Okay. <laughs> but uh, well, you know, just like Star Trek, we can push the boundaries here and there. <laughs> um, so, sure, so as you just described, uh, they warp back. Uh, it seems to be successful, and the traveler, in this effort, phases out of existence completely. Oh, and there is, of course, the scene where Wesley holds his hand. I think that's what actually like solidifies his ability to bring us home. Uh, and that oh, really, is the good is the just the kindness from Wesley? Kindness from Wesley holding his hand. Yeah, it was like the the last the last little bit. Traveler erases himself from from existence, or rather, sorry, not erases himself, but just bleeps out of our our known existence. Um, and Picard, you know, makes another announcement saying, "Oh, you know, we've successfully gotten home, and the traveler seems to have gone, and we wish him well wherever he is." It's a really nice, and that's it. It's like a nice little bow on top of the episode. Very clean, very clean. Well, so, so I have a question then. What what was the traveler actually doing? What when he was bouncing the ship across, you know, the universe? Was was it just that Kaczynski's thoughts of trying to do that were so powerful that the traveler was boosting them, and then that was happening? Because, I mean, if the traveler just sort of willfully threw the Enterprise into that horrible place, then he's kind of an asshole, right? But they, they're not presenting him as a bad guy or... Well, he uh, does he does apologize. He does say that he made a mistake. So I think... I, I, I don't think he meant to, to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, actually, I, I kind of interpreted it as possibly, uh, you know, he wasn't really focused as he should have been, maybe in interacting with Wesley kind of threw him off because he wasn't, you know, it was like, oh, wait, you understand what's going on? Oh, wait, I got to go do this now and, you know. and That makes cool. sense. He was distracted. He was distracted. and uh, Wesley's daughter. The- yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I guess the other thing I, I would ask about would be, do you understand the the nature of the relationship between the Traveler and Kaczynski? Because I wasn't clear on that. Was 
was Kaczynski using him? Was he allowing himself to be used? I think I think what happened what happens is the, there obviously this is not this is not clearly established in the episode. Um, but my you know my understanding what what I what I gleaned from it uh, on the first question um, the traveler by himself has this ability to travel. His name says it all. He can he can go anywhere in space and time. He he can do this by himself. He also has the ability to somehow influence or bond with mechanical things, right? So up until now, somehow he met Kaczynski and thought, I think the Traveler used him. The Traveler met Kaczynski and thought, oh, this guy wants to do these warp calibration things. I have this ability where I can kind of bond with mechanical things, and, and that's how the Traveler actually has been enhancing the warp functions of these other two ships, right? He's like, in the meantime, I get to uh, I get to explore what this Starfleet's all about. I get to travel from ship to ship with this guy, and, and he gets a little glimpse into uh, humanity and, and life, and that's kind of like what the Traveler's intention is. When he gets on the Enterprise, I agree completely with the Doctor that, um, that he is now all of a sudden distracted. He meets Wesley, and it's a surprise to him, a pleasant surprise, because up until now he hasn't really met anyone extraordinary. I mean, Kaczynski is basically, a, you know, uh, you know, a, a well-meaning, a well-meaning charlatan. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so I think what he was doing is like he was in fact improving the efficiency of these engines. Nothing to do with Kaczynski, but the traveler was bonding somehow with the engines of these ships. And like doing kind of nuanced calibrations in a in a very like uh, in a very different way than just punching you know code or whatever. He's just completely immersed. He's almost becoming the ship itself. And that is, I think, what is happening is that Wesley puts in these new equations in that one scene and kind of optimizes the warp field in this in this new way. And the traveler doesn't correct that. He may not even know, understand how that works the way Wesley does in a technical way. So now he's like doing his thing, but it goes wrong because he let Wesley punch these equations in and now all of a sudden like it so what in other words, what happened is since the traveler's a lens, Wesley put in this theory, he just put in this idea, and now this idea came to fruition and the Enterprise went through these like insane velocities. Oh, I see. Okay. So that's so that's what happened with Kaczynski. Okay. Now I sort of understand once you said the lens thing. Right, he's a lens, is what he describes himself For as. For other people, okay. And then the second question was... Um, remind me. <laughs> I had a second question? Yeah, it was... <laughs> the, the second question had to do... I think you said... Oh, the I, second question was um, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, take a moment to uh, to say one of the things I really liked about the episode was was the directing. Uh, the director's uh, I think is Rob Bowman, who who directed uh, Reign of Fire, that dragon movie with uh, Christian, uh, Bale. Christian Bale and yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Also, a veteran X Files director. And a veteran uh, X Files. The X Files movie was directed by him. Correct, the first one, right? Yeah. A good one. Absolutely. And um, the scene where the traveler is in sickbay, uh, where it's, it's 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 very dark, right? 
but the lighting, like the Traveler's lit very well, Picard and Crusher are, and then everything else is extremely dark, uh, which is weird when you think about it. It's kind of stylized because I don't think you normally would have sickbay completely in the dark like that. But I think it was an interesting stylistic choice because it, it just made this beautiful shaft of light emphasizing the Traveler and kind of gave him more otherworldly look in that scene. And, um, yeah, and there are scenes with the, the dream, the people having their, their visions. The, uh, that guy who was, you mentioned before, Selva, he was eating by himself and he was imagining this concerto going on about him. I think in later seasons, you know, maybe with, if this episode had happened in a later season, maybe they would have given that scene to one of the regulars. Maybe we would have seen something from Geordi or something. But this episode went ahead and showed us somebody whom we will never see again. And I thought it was kind of cool, you know? The ballerina, like, it, it gave scope to the ship. It's not just the same seven people, um, you know, the same, you know, Riker, Crusher, all these people. But they kind of moments. Right, yeah. So I like that. I, I credit Bowman with that. So um, also the scene with Picard and his his Maman. Uh, how do you say that again? Maman. Momo. Momo. Uh, was was also very beautifully shot as well. Uh, it was. Yes, the lighting was really nice, and uh, there was. I guess I think there was a. They used a special lens on her. I guess right. She, well, like, no, she was uh, she was backlit beautifully. Oh, the, she was backlit. That's what there's it was. that interesting like again. There's this like kind of like a different. Like, you could tell the hallway's not being lit by the hallway lights. It's like a light that's coming yeah. from some other place. And it kind of gives it that, like, that like idea of that she is coming back from the dead. Like, visually, you, you understand she's a ghost, as well as, like, the dialogue that supports it. So Yeah. And, uh, and then one thing I also want to mention is, is the very end of the episode, when Wesley gets his, uh, his commission as acting en- ensign, Oh, well, that's right. We didn't touch on that. That's right. So, right. This is the, so this is Picard's way of uh, following the traveler's advice: is that he, uh, yeah, he gives uh, Wesley a commission. Well, I almost feel like that was the point of the episode. I feel, you know, just looking at it from a production standpoint, and I haven't read about this, so I don't know if this is the case, but I feel like they were, you know, Will Wheaton probably was the biggest star as they started out. It was either him or or Lavar Burton, and they were really struggling. I think for ways to get him into the stories. And the only way to do that is by making him, you know, an active member of the crew somehow. And to me, it felt like this this episode was really just an excuse uh, to do that. Because early on, you think there's no way this Picard guy is ever going to come around to Wesley to the point of, you know, he, he goes in, wasn't it just one episode ago he let him on the bridge for the first time? It was a pilot. Yeah, yeah. There were two yeah. episodes. Yeah, and well, yeah, he let him on in the pilot, and then there was another one later it was, where yeah, it was the Crusher had to ask permission. Where, right. It was the episode where the um, the uh, it was the lieutenant. No, not lieutenant. Was it? Yeah, it was lieutenant episode. I think it was. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it you know, <laughs> so it just feels like you know they decided you know what we're gonna have this kind of godlike alien come on here and tell Picard that he needs to make Wesley. Uh, a member of the crew, just to get him in more shows and have him sitting at the helm every episode, and um, you know that—that's my take on it. You're absolutely right. It, uh, from a from the you know from that standpoint, 
this is a very important episode because it does put Wesley uh, as a part of the crew now. He's now a member of the crew acting ensign, um, and his story will will be intimately tied with the crew. And with the Traveler. And with the Traveler, yep, yeah, it's true. How many other episodes does the Traveler appear in? Is it like, is one, just one. Just one other episode that'll come much later in season seven. <laughs> you know yeah. what? I almost I almost want to say that it's as many episodes from the season finale, maybe, as this is from the season premiere. It might actually be that. Really? Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's season seven, episode twenty, I believe. Wow. Journey's end. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you think? Do, do, do both of you think that Wesley fulfilled his? Uh, I mean, based based on this episode, <clears throat> did he fulfill the promise of the character in terms of the, you know this implied greatness that the traveler says he has and all that stuff? Well, you know, uh, your immediate thought is that Wesley's going to design some kind of new form of propulsion system, or uh, the immediate thought I had when I was a kid watching this was that, like, maybe Wesley was going to invent, like, a new kind of warp drive or, you know, do something that allows them to go these, like, extraordinary distances and come back home. So, like, you know, ludicrous speed or something like that. Um, so from that standpoint, I don't think Wesley does fulfill this. But the Traveler also suggests that, like, um, that, like, whatever his destiny is, it shouldn't be interfered with necessarily. Um, and that Captain Picard should just encourage him. And he doesn't really give a specific destiny for Wesley. He's just saying, this guy's like a Mozart, you know? Um, in terms of the show, until that episode, I don't think he really does anything extraordinary. That episode, oh, I guess we don't mind spoilers on here, but like later in Season 7, doesn't Wesley phase out as well, just like the Traveler? Wesley becomes another traveler. Yeah, that's his ultimate fate. And yeah, I mean, so in the show, in the context of Starfleet, I don't really think we see Wesley do anything that um, amazing or grand. I think I'm not even sure he makes that out of Starfleet Academy. Uh, they they make a point of a lot of the Wesley episodes, sort of showing him being like a normal dude, and you know his problems with falling in love or peer pressure or not getting good grades, or, you know, I think he even fails uh, his Starfleet entrance exam once or twice. Um, so, yeah, I guess his ultimate destiny, or the greatness that the Traveler was speaking of, was him becoming another Traveler. He just needed Wesley to come of age to join him on his journeys. Uh, so it was Are we going to get into another Nambla talk now? <laughs> well, I liken it to Padme meeting uh, Anakin for the first time. You know, he's too young for her. Are you an angel? <laughs> I heard the deep space he's pilots young, talk about he's them. He's too young. <laughs> wait, wait, Wesley is... is who, who are we comparing Wesley to, Pat? I, oh, Annie, you've grown. <laughs> the You'll always be that little boy I knew on Tatooine. <laughs> oh, my lord. So the Traveler is uh, Padme and Wesley is Anakin. I mean, the, the Traveler, you know, it is suggested there's a very intimate relationship between the Traveler and Wesley. So it's very possible that later in that, in that um, Journey's End episode, Wesley now starts traveling and he's now on the same plane as the Traveler and now they can have their romantic music. Yeah, so have their twins. <laughs> 
And Will Wheaton, if you're listening to this, we would love your input. <laughs> yes. Also, Dennis Madalone, the the fire scene guy, he's yes. welcome to come join us anytime. That guy. <laughs> I apologize for what I said about your acting; it was awful. But please come on and join us and talk about your singing, which is great. Excellent. So, um, um, getting back Wesley, to yeah. you, time for Nemesis, though, right? What's that? Wes Wesley was a nemesis. That's a really confusing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. He but he doesn't say anything. He's just kind of there. He's in the shot, and do people? I don't see think him? he has any lines, does he? Do do the others see him? Is he? I think he says congratulations to Commander. Okay, uh, maybe he's just there in you know at, in traveler form, and, and no one else sees him. I don't know. <laughs> Well, well, you know, if he has become, if he does have the same abilities as the Traveler, it's it's safe to say that Wesley can come in and out um, as he chooses. I I will I will say this. I'll, I'll, let me add this. There's a no, and I know the Star Trek novels are are of questionable uh, canon at times. There's a Next Generation novel that's set right before Nemesis that has Wesley. There's two actually. That has Wesley coming back, kind of given more insight into into uh, what he's been doing, and uh, but I, I, I it, it still just doesn't explain what the hell his destiny was. So what what was he doing? He was just exploring the universe and getting into wacky adventures. Right. He he actually the, the two novels set him up as a traveler, as you said, and then he takes on. Uh, an apprentice traveler, just as the original traveler picked up on Wesley. So he continues traveling with someone else. <laughs> Is the apprentice traveler uh, male or female? <laughs> you stole my question. And how hot? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. So this is a good follow-up for next. We'll we'll follow up on this. On the next. Yeah, I haven't read that novel, so I don't know. <laughs> I'd also be curious to find out if Will has read them when he comes on. We'll uh, we'll have to ask him about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, anyways, really, really good episode. I I remember as a kid being really kind of um, empowered or inspired. And maybe I think I possibly studied a little harder that that semester. <laughs> wow! <laughs> no TV show inspired me that much. Yeah, uh, likewise, yeah, ditto. But um, but Star Trek definitely did uh, turn me on to science and physics. And while I didn't pursue that myself, I've always like been an amateur, uh, you know sort of physics enthusiast, if you will. And so I think st I think episodes like this are what inspired me because um, there are a lot of uh, interesting um, uh, theories and, and, you know, kind of um, <clears throat> the theme that thought has mass or that thought is what helps reality be what it is um, is something that's being explored and has been explored for a long time, both philosophically and... Uh, Scientifically, and um, there are many uh, there are many people that uh, think that um, the universe, in some way, responds to thought. And I mean, even the force is like a kind of a suggestion of this, you know. And 
you know, so the traveler describes something similar to this, and it's something that's come up over and over and over in our mystical teachings, in our philosophical teachings. So, you know, who knows where we'll go with this, but certainly we do uh, see it in action in, in some ways, whereas, like, you know, uh, humans seem to have the ability to bring thought into reality. Uh, humans think of things like communicators, and we end up having, you know, cell phones later on, and they, you know, these are all things that once were an idea or a thought, and now they're, you know, now they're real and tangible. So not in a good point. What's that? That is a very good point. It's not instantaneous like in, you know, in this episode, but it certainly is an application of that idea, so cool to explore. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the episode? I'm just excited for Wesley to be a part of the crew finally and uh, to get to see him to do more things and try on more sweaters and uh, you know I'm just trying to enjoy sweater time while it lasts because I know we're gonna get to that great jumpsuit soon enough. Gotta savor each one now guys. <laughs> it's true. Doctor? Troy is useless. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously. Um, <laughs> well, next week is a big Troy episode, actually. Yeah. So oh, what is next week? What is next week? Next week is Lonely Among Us. And what happens to that one? It's 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 awful. I uh, I went ahead and and actually watched <laughs> it uh, already. Um, but uh, yeah, there's all kinds of there's crazy aliens. There's there's a entity that ta that's body jumping and taking over people, and it takes over Picard at one point. Anyway, we won't spoil next week's show. But oh, um, Troy it. plays a big role in sensing things, <coughs> and telling people what she's sensing. Uh, so get ready. I can't wait. I, I I really can't wait. I honestly don't remember that one. Um, but th I, this episode I, that we saw is has always been one of my favorites of this season, and uh, in part because the Traveler is, I, I thought was a very enigmatic character. It kind of, it reminded me of, um, again, going back to Doctor Who, there's an episode called Warrior's Gate, where they have these, these, these lion creatures, these lion men that are enslaved uh, in order to, uh, they're enslaved in, in order to help basically warp ships through space. And, they're warp uh, lions. They're warp <laughs> lions, exactly. Exactly. Um, and the Traveler reminded me of that. And, and Warrior's Gate was, was done years before this one. Uh, so I, you know, it, it was, it always reminded me of that. And, and again, I think, uh, I think this was actually a turning point for Picard because um, I think the fact that he finally you know, that scene at the end when he gives Wesley the... Um, mission. The mission and the... What is it? Uh, makes him an ensign. You know, that that exchange between him and Riker where he's like, oh, well, you know, what, what can we do? You know, it, it shows a humanity that I don't think we had seen up until that point. And, it's the first time we see him being playful. Right, exactly. And, and I don't think we can under... Um, you know, when he encountered his grandmother, I, I think that, I, I interpret that as being an influence on on maybe humanizing him a little. 
and then that that plus the fact that the traveler tells him that, you know, uh, there is a degree of comfort that comes from knowing that your consciousness will somehow continue beyond your your physical form, right? And that's really the suggestion of that scene where his grandmother's consciousness is very well intact. She's interacting with him in a way that's not, you know, like a ghost, not like a traditional ghost, you know? Well, hold on, hold on. Is that what's happening there, or is that Picard's own memories of her creating her in that form? Again, the tra- the traveler it's- suggests the traveler suggests that it's it's not just his thoughts, that his thoughts have now become a reality in some way, and even his grandmother suggests the same thing, where she's like, I'm, you know, I thought you were dead. He says something like, I thought you were dead, and she's like, she says something to the effect of, well, I am, but I'm not. Well, she says that I've always been with you or something. I've always been with you, yeah, that's right. And and I interpreted that as meaning that, you know, I I mean, certain people are a little, I don't want to I don't know if I want to say superstitious, but they, they feel, you know, like if a parent dies or a grandparent, you know, as they get older, they'll say, you know, I, I feel like at, in moments of great stress or whatever, they're with me. You know, they bring me comfort, you know, in a spiritual sense. And and I kind of interpreted that as Picard having a, uh, a spiritual moment actually made real through that, you know, being in that universe, and, you know, whatever influence that grandmother had on him, which I think that small scene indicates that, you know, she had enormous influence on him at a young age, and then the fact that the traveler tells him what he says about Wesley kind of makes Picard think, you know, maybe I can be this for Wesley, and... (laughs) maybe eases some of the guilt that Picard clearly, or at least awkward feelings that he has about, you know, the issues with having, you know, the mission with Wesley's father, and he brought Wesley's father's home, uh, you know, after he died, and, and, and that whole awkwardness that he feels with that family, you know. That's a really good point. I didn't make that connection between Picard scene with her and then him with Wesley later. Yeah, that's a great analysis. I agree with that. That's excellent. Um, so you would have done a good job in Cardassian uh, film school over here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank if you, you want to come give a lecture, just let me know. Thank you. Uh, I'll consider it. Thank you. Well, are, we, are we over time, Star, uh, Starfleet Command? I mean, there's no time li- limit to our casual and informal discussions, but I think we've covered this episode pretty, pretty well. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm happy to say, uh, you know, live long and prosper, and we'll see you next time. All right. Well, live long and prosper, everyone. Live long and prosper. Signing out. <laughs>